Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and welcome to our Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't know why me and everyone else keep saying Kenobi. It's fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. Welcome to our fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. We love fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'll fuck him. I'd fuck him. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, our guest, everyone, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? No, not after that. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Hope Mullinax. Thank you for having me back on the show. Welcome back. Hope is a veteran of our High Republic episodes. If you listen to the High Republic episodes that me, Chris from Dark Side Divas, and Hope all do, you have heard Hope before, but this is the first time we have had Hope on an actual main episode, which does mean this is the first time that Hope and Bradley are actually meeting. He's real, guys. Like, I just thought he was a figment of Charles' imagination, like like a super, <laughs> like, gay mothman cryptid going through the woods. <laughs> cryptid implies there's something. Cryptid implies there's something interesting about Bradley or novel Aww. about Bradley instead of him just being a fucking twink. I'm actually an AI that Charles developed uh, to just respond to things that he says. And I just, he just has the sass level. Like he just, just changes it based on how his mood is that day. He's like, eh, why not turn it up to eight? It's true. Can I like Bradley- send like suggestions and you generate pictures for me? Yeah, Bradley's absolutely. a dial that I turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hope is joining us from Jedi's and Jedi being the big one uh, that I know her from. Uh, but she is also does about a dozen other things. Hope, <laughs> do you want to go ahead and, and at the top of the show, tell some people what your credentials are? Oh, yeah. So um, I am one of the co-hosts of Jedi's and Jedi. Uh, me and my co-podcaster, Chris, have been doing our show for, God, like eight or nine years now. And we have, we, we really started focusing on animation at first, but we've kind of expanded into all television Star Wars. We have done Clone Wars, every episode of Clone Wars, every episode of Rebels, every episode of Resistance, uh, first season of Mandalorian, and we're currently in The Bad Batch. Um, and we're going to do season two of Mandalorian next. I there also... are 300 episodes of this show. Yes. <laughs> there yes. are 300 episodes of this show. We're most, we, we won't, we're weekly, except for we've missed two weeks in our like eight years of recording because Chris is so good at editing and I suck. And that's why we don't have our other podcasts essentially die because I hate editing. I'm also a staff writer for the Geeky Waffle um, I've been on some of their shows too, like their Star Wars show, uh, Space Waffles. I've been on Straight Out of Home Video pretty soon. Um, in an upcoming episode, we have a new podcast called Bookmark and Busy. It's a discussion of fan fiction. So it's a fan fiction reader who talks and interviews fan fiction writers. Um, and I also write High Republic fan fiction over on AO3 under the name Chaos Lydia. It's called Fire and Thread, and we've mentioned it on our High Republic stuff uh additionally i do believe hope you are the moderator for the pink milk after dark oh yeah in the chat room yeah yeah, that's the word i'm looking for yeah i do it and i'm the moderator for the steam room um it's it's casual fun uh we have a good time over there we get steamy um and i love those guys too so coming out with us on youtube friday nights hope you had posted something on because you mentioned on on j guys and jedi you had mentioned oh we'll get to kenobi eventually 
And then after the finale, you had posted something on Twitter that was like, I have a lot of thoughts about Kenobi, invite me on your podcast. <laughs> and of course, anytime anyone does this, this is how Andy wound up on the show too. Anytime somebody does this, I make a note of this and I'm like, hmm. I appreciate that because anybody who knows me knows I am a huge fan. I would even dare say possibly the number one fan of the Grand Inquisitor in all forms. I love him in Rebels. He's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. Uh, I love him in the comics, the books. I love Rupert Friend as, as the Grand Inquisitor. I love my boy. It was so good. Oh gosh. And yeah, I, I had so many thoughts like animation is my favorite medium. It's my favorite way to process Star Wars as well. Um, I am a very firm believer that Star Wars functions best in animation because it can just exist. You don't have to worry about the volume or costumes or makeup. You can have a show like Resistance where you walk in and there's 20 aliens and don't have to worry about it and they can just exist. And I, I love animation. It's my favorite medium. But I, I came out of Kenobi going this might be like me, the animation queen, like this might be my favorite live action Star Wars, which is saying a lot because it's giving, it's giving Rogue One, which is my favorite Star Wars movie, a big run for its money. <laughs> I, I need to watch the show again, but uh, Kenobi might possibly be my favorite live action Star Wars. So we're going to take the resistance thing and we're going to put it in a little box <laughs> because we don't want to have a 10 minute segment of me and Bradley going at each other. <laughs> I, I will Resistance, I will say, is not for everyone. But what I love about it is it always swings for the fences. Sometimes it strikes out, but it is always trying to smack a home run. And it's probably some of the most experimental Star Wars. Ditch but, some weird shit in season two yeah, that I really like. It's it's dark. There, there's like there's an entire like borderline holocaust scene in resistance <laughs> with like aliens being being put in shipping containers to be shipped off to concentration camps like it is it is dark you, and you, it's very underrated you think you're watching a kids racing show and then uh boom we're shipping the aliens off it, mm -hmm. wow i mean because it, it's a show about fascism invading during peacetime um, and what happens when peacetime breaks down and how it happens and how people are indoctrinated in the case of Tam. Like it's, it's, it's a very underrated show, but I also understand it's not for everybody. Um, it is, it has a very specific tone that's not for everybody. So I get why people don't like it, but I also think it's probably one of the most underrated pieces of Star Wars. And one day Bradley and I will fight about it. But until then, if you check out Jagai's and Jedi's Resistance full show recap, not the seasonal recap, but the full show recap episode, I'm on that episode mm -hmm. talking you about are. Resistance. However, bringing it back to Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I figured the best way to do this is we have a couple of, of little small topics that I want to put pens in. But I specifically want to ask... Uh, both of you, Bradley, who's been quiet for a minute, just letting Hope talk, uh, Hope, and then I'll answer these questions myself. We'll just kind of do a variation on what we do in the show. Uh, at the beginning of every episode recap, Bradley asks one thing you liked and one thing you didn't. I am going to ask that for the entirety of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I know Bradley and I both binge watched today, the whole thing from beginning to end. So Bradley, we will start with you. Let's get one thing you 
Love, hope is raising a finger. I've actually been wondering this, and I'm, I'm okay. you, and you brought it up because I've seen an argument that Kenobi works better as a binge and not as a weekly format. Did you find binging it really helped versus watching it weekly with space in between? Yeah, absolutely. Like, would. yeah. So, like, uh, today, uh, I I came across a version of Kenobi legally I can't tell you how I came across this version of Kenobi and somehow it was shrunk down into a nice compact three hour ish theoretically it's three hours and 50 ish minutes you know if you just kind of watch it all as one thing you sit down you watch it which honestly it's kind of like watching Titanic you know you just kind of watch a fucking long ass movie and it was fine Around about episode four, I was like, this is kind of replicating the experience of watching Return of the King for me. Mm. Like, it's about the same. It's a little shorter. It's 30 minutes, 40 minutes shorter than the extended cut of Return of the King. Mm. And I was literally like, this functions pretty well. I will also say it functions really well on a rewatch, especially Reva in episodes one and two. Like, there's a bit in episode, no, three. There's a bit in episode three where she's having the argument with the Inquisitors in the boardroom. And at one point, right before she says she talks to Lord Vader, she like reaches down and touches her stomach, which is such a weird gesture randomly in the episode, unless you've watched episode five and you know that's where Anakin stabbed her. Mm. Or like the whole idea of like, I was watching episode one and she tries to kill Nari. They say, let's bring Nari in for interrogation. She tries to kill him. Is she doing that because she just really wants to kill Jedi the way the scene first plays? Or is she doing that because she doesn't want him to crack under interrogation or have to be subjected to interrogation and she's trying to kill him quickly? Ah, interesting. You go back and you rewatch it. You pick up on these things. It's like, hmm, I wonder. hmm, I'm thinking thoughts inside my brain. Huh, weird. This TV show thought you to think other things than what it shows you face value. <laughs> Sorry to like pose the question, but that, that's just something I've been wondering because I, I have seen that floating around as a <clears throat> yeah. question. Is it better as a weekly or as a binge? So I also want to point out too, I saw a jank ass article today where somebody was like, uh, because of Solo, like they were going to make Kenobi into three Jesus. movies, but then they were like, no, we can't make it a trilogy anymore because both. anyway, not true a hundred percent because that's fucking fake, but Kenobi would well, not have worked the, as a well, film. Well, it was film. the, it was a secondhand source. So right. I don't doubt because it was a, there's a name to it. It's not an unnamed. It's the original screenwriter who was brought in to do the films, and it was gotcha. Variety that reported on it. So I think he might have thought that Solo's disappointment pumped the brakes on it, and I also do think that may be true. I'm sure other conversations were had about it, right? That I don't think necessarily that it boiled down to solo failed and thus we nixed the obi-wan kenobi right because then that would mean they also nixed the boba fett movie and the i think there was a yoda movie at one point in like there was a boba fett movie that got eventually turned into the book of boba fett and there's there's also like you can't underestimate 
the power of streaming with the pandemic because right. that really did shift how people consume media. And I, I was actually reading a really uh, fascinating take about the new Lightyear movie where a lot of their target audience, they get so, because these kids just spent the last few years consuming media on television that they don't want to go to the theater. They just want to enjoy right. it in like the, it's, it's a changing format. Mm -hmm. So like, I actually really... I prefer Star Wars in a television format in general. I just, I think Star Wars works better in TV because you can have more time with characters and developing stories. Right. And it's not like we must cram everything in two hours, but I oh. like, I, that's definitely a big part of it as well. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I read the same article. I also have issues with these articles because the discussion will generally frame it like around the article. The article just neutrally says, after so the screenwriter says, I was working on this after solo, they pumped the brakes. They brought it back. They brought on a new screenwriter to turn it into six. And I'm really glad that I got to see it in some form, make it eventually. I'm the discussion so has been Solo failed and Disney acts the Obi-Wan Kenobi trilogy. And I'm like, it no. makes me so mad because <laughs> Guys. it's also just, I, I, because originally it was uh, Lord and Miller on it. And oh, we're like, talking about, yeah, on Solo to clarify. On Solo, yeah, yeah. Lord and it, Miller were on Solo. And I, I still want a Lord of Miller Star Wars. Like, I love like, the movie. I love Into the Spider-Verse. I love the Mitchells versus the Machines. Like, I still want a Lord of Miller Star Wars. Give it to me. And I want it to be animated. I want them to do an animated Star Wars movie. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that trying to piece together the business decisions of a business based <laughs> on some secondhand things that right. some people have said... Like we don't, we still don't know why Colin Trevorrow was Trevorrow was axed from episode nine. There's like four different explanations for why people have said he was axed from episode nine. We still don't know. We don't know a lot of this information. So when articles like that come out, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting that this is one writer's perspective on what happened. We still don't know the full story of the conversations that they had. Guy's name, Bob Jepic or whatever his name is, like whoever is in charge, like he flat out said, we rushed movies too fast. We went too fast through yes. the sequel trilogy and Solo and, and Rogue One. He flat out said that like, that was a problem. And that's going to happen. Like, so, of course, Solo is going to be really costly. You fucking filmed the movie twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had to film the movie twice because they like gutted it halfway through. Well, here's, so, yeah. here's the thing too that Lucasfilm has done over, over the, the Disney tenure that I have really liked. There's a, a concept in, in business, the, the idea of the pivot. Uh, I read a book that was talking about it once uh, that was talking about the idea of one of the business strategies you can do is every so often you evaluate and if something isn't working, you pivot. And I think that's something Disney has done really well is being open to doing the pivoting. So they were trying to basically, I have a tinfoil hat theory that someone and at Disney, an executive at Disney, not Lucasfilm, but Disney wanted Star Wars to be another Marvel Cinematic Universe where they were releasing a movie, two movies, three movies every year. And that's just not how Star Wars works because every single one of those movies is such a big event. But what did Lucasfilm do when that wasn't working? They pumped the brakes, they pivoted it over to doing the streaming, which has worked out a lot better for them. When they did uh, Clone Wars, the season seven of the Clone Wars, 
they pivoted slightly and they said, okay, let's do some more animation. We've had the Bad Batch now and Tales of the Jedi and then other stuff that I've heard is coming up. And I know Hope has feelings about that pivot because the other thing about mm-hmm. pivot is you can pivot the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> We're well, here to whether... talk about Kenobi's, but that's a rant for another day. J- go listen to Jedi Guys and Jedi. They're covering all the good and bad of Bad Batch right now. But that's something that they, they do is right. that they look and they see at what works and they adjust their business strategy and what content they put out accordingly. Like the whole thing of nixing the Obi-Wan Kenobi trilogy. It, it shouldn't have, we didn't need a trilogy. Not right. everything has to be a trilogy. Right. It does not have to be a trilogy. And uh, you can have one right. thing and it's good. And that's why that's, I'm trying to bring it back to Kenobi because what I, what we were saying originally was you said, does it work as like this condensed kind of film and it does as long as you're not constrained to the two hour time code that most mm-hmm. movies are, you know, two hours to two hours and 30 minutes that most movies are in theaters. If this movie had been shortened, this quote movie had been shortened down to two hours and 30 minutes or two hours and 45 minutes or whatever that is, that's two episodes less than what we would have gotten, basically. So mm-hmm. if you and think about what the would structure have been the first... of the show, right, you would have think about the structure what would have been of the show. The first stuff to go. Probably right. Reva's, Reva's, like Reva's storyline, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, they honestly probably would have killed her. Well, um, no, no, because the same screenwriter said in another interview, I think, that they were going to kill her off. Oh, girl, I would have. Oh, that was how the original oh. thing ended, is she didn't know Anakin was Vader. Obi-Wan tells her Anakin is Vader. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go confront Vader and buy you time. She goes back to Vader and says, I killed Obi-Wan Kenobi and he kills her. Mm. And that was going to be the original ending. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, because mm. I remember when they switched screenwriters, because originally they had the, the guy writing the films and they brought on one screenwriter and then they nixed the scripts. Do you remember this? I vaguely they remember hearing something about that. And yeah, they like... brought on a third writer. And the reason they brought on a third writer was that they thought that they needed to radically reshape the tone of the show to be more hopeful and less bleak. Because they were looking at the scripts and they were like, this is super bleak and we want this to be more hopeful. All that to say... What was one thing you liked about this season? Oh, and one I'm thing so like? sorry for asking the question. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Welcome, welcome to Gold Squadron Gaze. We will fucking tangent about anything. 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 Everybody should know I went to go get some water and I came back. They're like, yeah, let's make sure this is an hour, not four hours. And the first thing I do is just like, here's a 20 minute conversation. We'll see how long it actually, look, when we did the Thrawn episode with Claudia from Rupalps, I was like, let's try to keep this around like an hour 15-ish, hour 30, two hours and 40 minutes on the raw recording. How could you not? It's Blue Husbando. That's that's my Blue Two Husbando. hours and 40 minutes on the raw recording. That's, that's my Blue Husbando. He deserves that much time. He's No, and I'm telling you, when, we, when this stupid Ahsoka show comes out, we're going to be menaces. Like, I can tell you. It's Rebels oh 2.0. God. I know it's happening. I, and it's going to be should insane. Have been, should have been animated, but whatever. I, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> I'm not. That's the. I hate that. I, I'm not excited about a show about my favorite Star Wars character. I hate that I'm not excited. Anyway, <sighs> Kenobi. Kenobi. Obi Wan Kenobi. Bradley, you cannot escape. Let's okay. let's do you first. One thing okay. you liked about the overall series, and one thing you did not about the overall series. 
Ooh, okay. This is a tough one. I think that we said this uh, already, but I feel like this works for the series as a whole. I, I did not like, or I felt like I didn't get enough time to spend with some of the side characters on the show, i.e. Um, Haja or Roken or Tala. Like some of the best characters in the show, you know, they were they were in it and they had good moments. I just, I just wanted just a little bit more time with them, especially Tala. Cause you know, I, I hate killing a character, but especially when I get introduced to them only, you know, a week before, and then like the next week you kill them in front of me. So um, that's the one thing I, I didn't thought for like. Sure. She was going to be an Andor. I thought for sure. I had I did money too. on that. Yeah. I, I definitely was thinking that now I kind of feel that's, when we were talking about this too, I kind of felt like now maybe Roken might be shifting over into that space, possibly in some capacity, whether that's animated or non-animated, I don't know. You know what I mean? But in that time of whenever Andor takes place is when he possibly might show up because I, it, you know, it's not, I, we, how, when is Andor taking place? We don't know yet. Like it's like vague sometime before Rogue One. It's about three years later, about three years later. And then uh, there's a time skip between season one and season two to where it's like five years later, right up to the edge. It's going to be bumping up against Rogue One. So, yeah. So the way it's going to work is that the first season of Andor covers one year. Okay. uh, And then the next season covers the next four. So we, we see the beginning and then we move through the next couple of years and then Rogue One is kind of the ending. You want to talk about when shows come out being menaces, literally making a show about one of my glove shittos as one of the co-leads of the show. This is the Mon Mothma appreciation podcast. <laughs> I think about contingency plan at least once a day. Bradley, you haven't read Vakpov, but you will, and you will understand what I mean. Uh, because you do eventually have to read the gay stormtrooper story. Okay, well, anyway, so that was what I didn't like with side characters kind of got side charactered, you know, a little too much, but not, it wasn't terrible. It was, it was fine. I really love anytime you talk about the Inquisitoris, because when I was watching Rebels, all the Inquisitor characters, I've loved the Inquisitor characters since <gasps> the beginning of time and having more than one in this show was awesome for me because I, when I remember when they first, started talking about the show and we didn't really know what it was going to be about. And I had no idea. And I was like, we were looking at the cast list. I was like, who the hell are all these people? Like, why do they have so many people in this show? And then once we found out that half of the cast was basically inquisitors, I was like, Oh, I fucking love this. Um, I love any red bladed person that comes into my life uh, is okay with me. And so the fact that we got what four fucking inquisitors in this show basically um and two of them are girl bosses yes two of them are girl bosses i honestly wish we had more inquisitors (laughs) for the inquisitors in the show it is a perfectly even split yeah two of them are girl girl bosses one of them is an amazing powered man and uh uh, and and the fifth brother is also here (laughs) i i yeah i just uh the fifth brother is also here uh, I, I will not be sad watching your demise in Rebels from here on out. Not that I was before. Yeah, Bradley, you've just been trying to recapture the magic of Asajj Ventress. I really which, have, yeah. Which you've been trying to recapture the... Which 
have you listened to the audiobook yet for Clone or for Tales of Jedi and Sith? Because they have oh, an Asajj Ventress story. It's on my list too. I haven't got it either. If they have an Asajj Ventress story read by Nika Futterman. Oh, really? I love Nika. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. Well, we'll get there. As I'm fond of saying, we will get there when we get there. That's what I tell my boyfriend all the time. We're watching, we're, we watch through Rebels and sort of the original trilogy era. And now we're working our way through Clone Wars. Gradually. We are on season four and he will constantly turn to me and ask me questions. And be like, is this and such going to happen? And my answer is always, we will get there when we get there. Right. No spoilers here. No spoiler. We will get there when we get there. And then he goes on fucking YouTube and watches videos and spoils things for himself anyway. And I'm like, if you watch a single thing about Kenobi, you are sleeping on the couch. <laughs> um, Hope, what about you? What was uh, one thing you really liked about the series and one thing you didn't like about the series? I, I had to think about this because when you guys asked me this question, at like, and don't four... say the Grand Inquisitor. No, 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 no. no. Reason. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, We've got to pin firmly in that one. Because there's so much I do like about this series. Um, it really jumped to my like my favorite Star Wars. And like it did so many firsts. Um, and I, so it was really difficult for me to like pinpoint one. Like just just like two honorable mentions would be like this is the first time that I really bought Hayden as Darth Vader. Um that little smile he gives to Obi-Wan when he's like, I killed Anakin Skywalker. I, I get chills. Uh, I still get chills thinking about that scene. Uh, my other honorable mention is Reva's Redemption because it broke this horrible, lazy writing trope that the only way for a bad guy to get redemption is through death. It started with Darth Vader. It continued through Ben Solo. And we've only really started seeing that change in animation with characters like Callus. Um, but that was really a first for live action. So like, those are definitely like my two honorable mentions. But I was trying to like pinpoint what exactly was my favorite thing. And I think my favorite thing about this series is the exact reason why Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie. And I, what it is, what I love about Rogue One is it's the first time that I really felt like the continuity was singing and really working together. And Rogue One to me is what Trash should have been, which was a celebration of multiple eras in a film. And so like when you watch Rogue One, it has animation characters, it has book characters, it has prequel characters, it has original trilogy characters, like it just beautifully meshes the entire canon into a movie and it works and it functions. Uh, there, there's like one clunker scene when they run into the two cantina guys that I hate um, <laughs> because they had to get on that ship in like two minutes to be off Jetta to be in the new home. <laughs> but like it doesn't work. Um, but like for the most part, like it really works. And I think that's why I love Kenobi so much because it was such a marrying of the canon. And of course, it's like bridging like the original trilogy to the uh, prequels, of course. But it's also doing so much more than that. Like, it really explains why Leia named her kid Ben. It wasn't just a guy that she was on, like, traveling with for like two hours and then gone. Like, it, it gives these explanations from the prequels even the high republic there's high republic references. there's high republic graffiti on the wall which bradley now knows about because i won't shut up about yeah and so it like really bridges this like 
all forms of Star Wars into one. Like there are there are like nods to animation with the Inquisitors. There are nods to, um, of course, like other characters and like um, like Baru reminded me so much from her story at a certain point of view in a lot of ways. And so like it has these like beautiful like roots in the books. It said Padme writes, Padme writes. Um, Four so I, out of six episodes, two thirds of the series, she is at least mentioned, if not visually shown on screen. Yeah, and it just captured this, like what I feel like Star Wars, it, it shouldn't always do because it doesn't always work and it's not always the place, but it really saying as this like marriage to the entire canon that doesn't always work in other medias. And I think it's that really well. And I, I do think that's my favorite thing about Kenobi and why I loved it. So even video games, like the entire Fortress Inquisitorius is Fallen Order. And it just really t- like just touched and lovingly kissed like multiple parts of the canon and gave them love and acknowledgement, which is exactly why I love Rogue One so much. I I am going to say as well, because I'm just going to say this now, this was going to be my thing that I liked, but I'm going to have to go to a different one. But you've just set it up so beautifully. I like the idea that you can tell a story in a pre-existing canon about pre-existing characters that inserts itself seamlessly, that still has stakes and still has its own ethos and still has its own story. I think that part of the reason the opening sequence of the Bad Batch still kind of rubs me the wrong way is there were ways to tell that story without overwriting anything else that came before. And what Obi-Wan Kenobi does really well is it's respectful of the material that came before it, but still manages to tell an incredible story about an emotional journey. I raised the point on our our last episode. I said, this wasn't a story that I feel like we needed to tell until I saw it. And now it makes so much sense. But at the same time, it doesn't override anything. It's very respectful. The level of creativity in the writing and direction to take that degree of care with how you set everything up to say, we're not gonna discount any of the work that have come before we're going to elevate it. We're going to celebrate it. I think speaks so much to how good the creative team was behind this. In very much the keyword you said there is journey because it gave me a lot of the same feeling that I felt when, when re- like watching the final episodes of Clone Wars. We know Ahsoka and Rex do- uh, live, <laughs> die. We know Ahsoka and Rex live and make it to Rebels, but it's about the how. How did they did it? Do it. So, like when you ha- when you're telling a story that's a that you already know the like the end journey or the the end point. The story is about the journey. And I had this like this moment where watching the first episode and seeing how Obi Wan was and how like broken and, and traumatic he was, it hit me that that man in Episode One would not have helped Ezra and Rebels. He would have just no. let him die. And and it, it just telling. A story that's the journey is just as important as the end goal and I think like and I think that is a very important and beautiful thing 
to be to tell because it's not a oh, gosh freak I so many writers talk about how and why the journey is the most important part that if you skip the filler episodes there's a great quote from Matt Braley who is the creator of Amphibia and he was talking about this episode called uh, Bessie Microangelo which is on a surface, it seems like a filler episode, but the entire, but the big subplot of this episode is Anne dones this armor and she real, she's like, no, this is me. Like, this is my, this point. And he said that if you're writing this off as filler, you're missing the journey of the character. And what was one thing moving us along a little bit? What was one thing that, that you disliked or might critique about the show or thought the show maybe could have done a little bit better i it's i actually don't have a lot of critiques um i will say i've only watched the episodes once and two of the episodes i had covid so there's like this kind of fever dream in the middle of it yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so so to be clear um uh, that bit uh, where Kazuda Ziono randomly shows up and he has Flix and Orca with him uh, and they're it's running so through good. the Fortress Inquisitorius in the background. That wasn't real. Oh no, uh, that didn't apart. happen. I, I regret to inform you that that did not actually happen in the, the show. Flix and Orca have like move in. They're like, it's free real estate. <laughs> <laughs> this is ours now. They no. just show up at the place in Japan like, oh yeah, we can scrub a little elbow grease on this. Oh. We could yeah, get that hole great. patched up at the ceiling. Yeah, fixer upper. We'll just flip it's in. A and fixer like, up. It's a house flip. <laughs> Blinks and Orca become house flippers. I, I I want their antiques roadshow show like miniseries on YouTube. I really want it. Mm. Um, so because I've only seen it once, like I'm still very much on the emotional high. So it's kind of hard for me to pick a criticism. Right. So I think my criticism is probably my ongoing criticism that I have with all live action Star Wars. Um, and which is part of the reason why I love animation so much is I have a lot of issues with how human centric Star Wars is at times hmm. because there are so many because of the limitations of live action like I, I would look at the casino like of like them um, what, what's the planet like the where they were all hiding out and Reva was like oh, I'm attacking you and Obi-Wan's like I'll sacrifice myself what was that planet? Uh, Which time? Because he does that. There's the third times. episode. It's the third when, episode. When like Vader like rips open a, when like, Vader like rips open a ship. That one. Oh, oh Jabim. That's Jabim. 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 Yeah. Like there's like these big shots and there's like one alien and it's like an like there's like one like three aliens and it's like a Nikto family and the rest are all humans and I'm like you, you get these other like media's like the higher public. There's so many aliens that are Jedi and like. Um, and I guess you could argue it's because the empire is like wiping out and it's like, you know, definitely specious. Um, there's a lot of speciesism in Star Wars. That's the whole point of Thrawn's story in the Thrawn novel. Um, but it's just, it's also just a limitation of live action. And I think that you can tell a lot of very interesting coded stories with alien species. Um, and like they, they've fallen in this like weird place which is also a good thing i'm gonna preface this by saying it's a good thing before we got so much diversity in star wars aliens were the coded characters for like queer characters or bipoc characters and stuff like that but it's so good that we're getting all this diversity starting like really coming to the franchise there's still like stories that i feel like you could tell with 
with aliens. Like there's this very powerful moment in Lost Stars where Thane Kyrell sees these like lizard people as slaves. And that is his like his turning point of what the fuck am I doing here? Why are we subjugating these people? Why are we invading? Oh my God. And it's just, I love seeing aliens in Star Wars. I love like the puppetry and the makeup and, and all that. Um, and I just, it, the TV format really limits to having these like cool characters. Like you don't really have cantina scenes anymore. Like you go into the book of Boba Fett like you have like the one weak way, uh, bar, like barkeeper. And that's really it. But like, we know that's not true on Tatooine. It's a very like rich environment with so many different people because we have the cantina scene from the original trilogy. Um, so I, I just, I really miss having aliens in live action Star Wars in a TV format. And that's where animation just sings so well to where you can have a character like Zeb. Zeb is my favorite character of Rebels and he's great. And who? he's like, and, but you, he would be just such a nightmare to do in live action. Who else is terrified that we will see live action Zeb? Oh, I mean, I, I know we are. It. I want it for meme reasons because it will be a meme and it's gonna be it's gonna be like ugly Sonic. Well, ugly we Sonic do, all over again, absolutely. We do kind of know what what a live quote unquote live action Lasat's gonna look like because Jara Tapal is one, and uh, Fallen Order is pretty photorealistic. So, but even then, it's computer animated. Like if you wanted that, like just to do his feet, you're gonna have to do those like weird like those like centaur cosplay feet because his like feet are weird. But like, or a character like Flix. Like Flix, if you ever had a Gazo in live action Star Wars, it's probably going to be a puppet or yeah. uh, of some kind to operate its like to operate its like legs and arms. And so, like, I do miss that innovation of like alien creatures in all live action Star Wars. It bothers me. I I like non human centric stories. I think Zeb's story is so powerful because his species was eradicated and he's a survivor of a genocide. It makes him interest like that. That's a story of his that's dropped when he's like, I guess Callus and I are boyfriends now. Uh <laughs> I, I, have, I have decided that the hot sideburns man, uh, this is my, this is my focus. No, but then he takes the hot sideburn man home. Yeah, to his like family, so. It's like, hmm. Well, it's down family. They're not his family, family. But like, yeah, I guess that's my like ongoing big gripe and like the, the execution of it. Um, Look, but you got to refer to the defaults. You know what my criticism, my one thing I disliked about episode four was it was one shot of Vader's cape that looked a little weirdly digitally lit. That was literally the thing that I had to find in that episode. To be like, uh, the one thing I disliked was this one movement of Vader's cape. And five, I think I finally pulled the card of, nah. Nah, we're not doing this. But I mean, it goes back to like a new hope. Like if they can have a cantina scene with like a shit ton of different aliens, like th that are literally put together with like duct tape and like werewolf masks. Like why can't yeah. you now with even more money and technology do this more because they they have way more money now than they did when making a new hope <laughs> well and to that point like when we were re-watching the episodes today i was watching the first two and when they're on tatooine in the first and the second episode and you know they kind of go in like the town square kind of area and it's mostly humans i thought it's about that too and i was like yeah, I was like, I was like, huh, you're right. That is kind of weird. Like, why not just take the puppets you made from Force Awakens and, you know, Rise Skywalker and just or, reuse them and just or, repurpose them, you know? Or fucking Book of Boba Fett. 
Yeah, anything from that. that, yeah. For all its faults, there were some scenes on Tatooine where they had crowd shots and they had some weird-ass aliens. Yeah. Like Boba Fett. They had fucking the little weasel in a bikini uh, randomly in the background. They had Trandoshans. She was great. She was they great. had Wookiees. Right. They had, like, well, there was one Wookiee, Black Kersantan, but even Book of Boba Fett, for all stuff, Book of yeah. Boba Fett is an eh show. There's another show that gets better if you just binge watch it because the pacing is so much so much better if you just watch right. it on one sitting but I, I even guess, that show was weird with got weird with its aliens and, and i guess like it just makes it visually boring you know mm. it just makes it like right. visually bland um other than like looking in the background like oh where's christina ariel this week <laughs> um, uh, like, she I, I, is <laughs> i could pinpoint when she's on screen yeah like, other than looking for like christina ariel like it just makes all those like big wide shots like visually boring and to that point, we talked about this, um, how the first episode and the second episode are so jarringly different because when they go to Dayu, which is basically Star Wars Tokyo, they that's where Hong they Kong. save or Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. I'm sorry. Um, that's yep. where they saved all their costuming and like stuff yeah, budget because they threw it, it all in that weird scene. shit on Dayu. Yeah, they it put some weird stuff I on love there. it. Yeah, I love it. It looks so good. There's like, some I, weird shit. I would even take like masks, like at this point, or like, or just, just it's just so, uh, yeah. That that's probably my biggest criticism, but that's my ongoing criticism in general for live action Star Wars. They they have some nice weird ones in episode two and three, and then they kind of drop them when they hit episode four. Except for like that, what is his name, Freck? He is Freck in episode three. Freck right. carries episode three in weirdness all by himself. I, I, as that is the most realistic, timely, chilling, horror inspiring scene in all of Star Wars. Like, there's the that bit, moment, like, the I, bit where like, he walks around the back of the truck and sees the, the uh, the Blue Lives Matter flag on the back of the truck and is like, oh. I, I live in Georgia. That's me every time I drive around and I see a Confederate flag stuck to the back of someone's truck. Literally, like, Bradley and I, when that episode aired and we covered it, Bradley and I, uh, I used to live in Georgia. Bradley currently lives in Georgia. We had extended an extended discussion yeah. about the Confederate flag. And like, I've talked about, I talked about, I've gotten in Ubers before in Georgia where they have the Confederate, at the time the Confederate flag because Blue Lives Matter wasn't a thing, but you would, they would have the Confederate flag like in the back window of the car and you would get in and you'd be like, okay, my goal is to get out of this car alive. I would I'm have been like, be nice. oh no, you're not my Uber and then call another one. <laughs> All right. Because that happens. Or like somebody you're having a perfectly lovely conversation with uh, and then they go to get in their car and it has the confederate flag on the back of it i mean yeah like that that character is so well done as as horrific and chilling as he is like that was one of the most memorable characters to me because at first i thought it was interesting i was like oh interesting and like an alien character supporting the empire you don't really see usually the ones that's subjugated and then you see the flag on the back of the truck it's like oh everything the nice thing the nice thing about that like, I love the detail in the politics in that episode because it doesn't explicitly come out and say what's going on. Mm-hmm. You have to pay attention to the details when he comes up to the thing. The truck is empty. When he gets up to the checkpoint, they ask him how he's doing. And he said, 
well, the quarry's running a bit dry. We have to dig again. And then like the next scene or two scenes later, when they're in the briefing room and they've just found Obi-Wan and they're talking about Mapuzo, they say the Empire is strip mining the planet. Mm-hmm. They are taking advantage of him. And he is in a position to recognize that the Empire is strip mining the planet and they don't actually care about him. But he's just so gosh darn happy that about those order. gosh darn insurgents were put in their place and everything is super okay with mm-hmm. the status quo. Uh, but of course, there's no politics in Star Wars. But that's there's that's no like, politics in Star Wars. That's why it's so timely because there's so many times, it, it honestly reminded me of members of my family where they're like, no, I like structure and order, like, because they're not the ones that are losing Cause rights. Because you- it's, it's all structure and order until your rights get taken away. And then people are like, oh, God, it's too late now. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, definitely. Like, people, yeah. if it doesn't affect them personally, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And they're just, ha- I'm just going to keep my head down. There's a great line from Rogue One uh, where Saw Gerrera says to Jenner, so this is pr- maybe one of my favorite exchanges in all of yeah. Star Wars. Saw says, are you, con-, I'm paraphrasing, are you content to let the Imperial flag, see the Imperial flag reign above the galaxy? And Jen replies, you can't see it if you don't look up. It's not a problem if you don't look up. Mm-hmm. The show never explicitly comes out and says, this is what our politics are about. This is what's going on. It's in the details. It's in the world building. It's in the production design of this show is so good. And the way Deborah Chow, Deborah Chow, who has previously been a, she's a TV director. That's what she does. Uh, She directs episodes of TV. Where is your feature film? Where's your three picture deal? Mm -hmm. Give Deborah Chow whatever she wants. Like, give it to her. Do another, do a trilogy of movies uh, with Deborah Chow helming one and Bryce Dallas Howard doing another one. And then, I don't know, pick a third female director for the third one. Those are the two Star Wars female directors of live action thus far that I can think of. So far, yeah. Well, and then I guess they already have um, on on the back burner they have for rogue squad patty jenkins patty jenkins, patty jenkins. jenkins. So, we'll see how um, rogue squadron turns right. out but that's a in, good thing. in 2027 like, when we finally possibly. get it right yeah whenever it eventually comes out i'll uh i'll do mine i i, I did my original well you did like five different ones technically so because <laughs> i because I, I just have so much to say i know I, sir i have a weekly star wars podcast i literally cannot shut the fuck up about <laughs> star wars i i joked to my boyfriend i was like anytime we go to an event right dispatch me for 30 minutes and if you then go looking for me you will find me with at least two other people having an animated discussion about star wars that is just who i am as a person I will zero in on whoever it is that's talking about Star Wars and be like, hello, yes, I have opinions. I was going to go with the um, the fitting into continuity so well, but I think for my one thing I liked, I am, I am going to keep on the same track that I'm currently on and just talk about the details of the show and the world building of the show and the production design and the structure and how they've set everything up. 
like the whole thing with Freck or the final episode. So I thought it was weird, right? That they got Bonnie PSE. I apologize, Bonnie, if you're listening for the gross mispronunciation of your name that I keep doing. Uh, where they got her back to play Baru. I was like, oh, that's nice. They got her to play in one episode. And then in episode six, it's like, but the detail in, in even that whole sequence with what we learn about the Lars family, she has guns hidden in the homestead that Owen didn't know about. She wants to slaps the shit out of the Inquisitor. Like, no, just like, no. Well, and I raised oh, the point I loved too. It. I raised the point too, because I was I was t- clipping whatever our second TikTok this week is going to be. And I, I think I've settled on, no, it wasn't this one. It was a different one. But one of the contenders was a bit where I talk about the moment where Owen kicks over the potted plant onto Reva. And I raised the point that that is a plant. They don't have a lot of them. And Owen has had to spend water to keep this thing alive. And he knocks it on Reva's environmental damage without a second thought. So that's the fact that they have these plants and he's kept them alive says things about him. The fact he tossed it at Reva says things about him. Obi-Wan Kenobi doesn't feel like it needs to stop and explain to you what's going on in the show or who the characters are. It shows you the visual storytelling and the choices that it makes. My thing that I disliked, I did not pick a thing about the show. I want to talk about the conversation around the show. And specifically, a lot of the discussion that was had (laughs) prior to episode five. Because as Bradley will tell you, I was getting increasingly annoyed with this. The level of ridiculous toxicity around this show was insane. There was more pushback on this one than there has been historically. That is good and fine. More of that. If the discussion is toxic in quotes because people are pushing back against racism, sexism, and just generally being shitty at criticizing things, that is a-okay with me. But it felt like a lot of the discussion that I was having to see, gingers or plants on TikTok, I have quoted this person immensely when they said this, but it has lived rent-free in my brain since they said it. They said something like, Reva knowing that Anakin is Vader in episode two. The discussion that should have happened was, how does Reva know that Anakin is Vader? That's not a thing she should normally know. The discussion that happened was, the Black lady shouldn't know that he's Vader. That's a plot hole and broke the original movie. And I, yeah, like... Shut up! Shut shut up! It's, it's like we, we have entered this time period where people don't understand how television shows work. And then, and I don't know what exactly is this downfall of just like, yeah, it's episode two. There's still four more fucking episodes. Like, let the show fucking finish. I'm sure... You know, it'd be... It's different, like, if we reached the end of the show and it was never explained, then it's a valid question. Right, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Then you have like, a point, but yeah. Oh, it's, it's just like, does people not understand how television functions and works like I, I run into this a lot with like because because I'm so much so much in animation circles I run into this problem with young fans learning how to consume media for the first time and like specifically like 
from the get-go when I saw the character of Lilith in Owl House, I was like, she's having a redemption arc. She's going to have a redemption arc. And at the end of season oh, one, Oh, obviously. Was, she immediately became one of my favorite characters and I yeah, immediately signaled like, in on like, that's a redemption after, arc. But after like Agony of a Witch, like people were just like swearing. And I was like, man, I really love how Lilith is written. And these like little fucking teenagers were coming at me like, you're having all these bad takes and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't understand. Like you're so young and you're still learning how to consume media. And like, so I, I'm, I'm very like gracious and patient with like young fans learning but we're talking about like fucking 30 year olds like people think, like adults that like should know how to consume media and understand how television shows work it's episode fucking two there's still four more episodes i still think that hey dipshit press play may be one of my favorite rants that i went on over the course of the show i when i, I was talking my... about if you watch the show it will explain it there's a thing to be said there was a conversation that I had the other day with somebody about the dagger from Truss and why is the dagger? And I was sort of quoting Darth Chaco a little bit, but I was talking to this person about like, why is the dagger from Truss there and how does it work? And I was sort of explaining to them that the movie does a bad job of explaining this. What's going on is, you know, it's not an ancient dagger. It's just a dagger that's done terrible things. It's specifically for Ochi. That's why it leads to the Death Star. Yada, yada, yada. The coordinates are literally printed on the dagger. But like the movie does a bad job of explaining this because the movie just feels like it's making this shit up as it goes along because of the way it's written. And that's something to have a conversation about. What if they were on the wrong cliff? <laughs> it wouldn't line up. <laughs> uh. And I mean, it is it is pulpy and ridiculous, but yeah. looking at it and analyzing it, it's, it's the same mentality of looking at the dagger and saying, why is the dagger like this? The movie is bad at explaining it, but let's think this through versus the dagger took them to the ruin of the thing from 30 years ago when it's supposed to be ancient. Um, that happened, uh, plot hole, bad. I'm like... I, I, it's not my favorite thing either, but please think about it for five seconds. And then just like, I had raised the point too of like taking criticism that is made and spinning it to attack other people really irks me. Cause I remember there was concern after the Grand Inquisitor got stabbed in episode two and hope you had this concern. And I also had the same concern. I was like, are we going to address this? Cause he shows up in Rebels. Are we going to address this by the end of the show? But a lot of people waited very patiently to see what would happen. Lo and behold, he pops up in episode five. I, like had a, I had a visceral reaction just because it's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. Right. Like, so like, I, I remember tweeting like, they're not retconning rebels, surely not. But like, it, it was a fear because we've had mild retcons before. But right. Rebels is such a major property. But it, mostly my reaction was, my baby got stabbed. His sexy I, abs have holes in them. I had somebody... Privately. I'm not going to put this person on blast. They're a friend of mine, but I had somebody privately, we were having a conversation and this person was like, uh, Disney doesn't know what it's doing. It has no internal consistency. Uh, if they don't bring this character back, it will ruin Star Wars forever. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy has ruined everything. And I'm like, it is it is two episodes in and having mild concern that they might pull a Kane and Jarrus again is different than declaring that the entire show is bad and irredeemable because it did a thing that you don't understand a third of the way through it. 
You're you're referring to Kanan Jarrus in Bad Batch, right? I I am my oh, I'm my biggest moment of being annoyed. Okay, yeah, that's just me clarifying, just making sure that. We're on yes, the I'm referring I'm referring to the bit where Bad Batch overwrote the and even, comics. Even that, I've heard explanations from people as to how that could work, and I'm the type of person that likes to. You remember me rationalizing Oila Jereni suddenly getting an accent. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to rationalize these things in my head, but the thing that I didn't like was the, maybe I was just seeing more of them, the level of ridiculous bad faith from people with large followings too, who were just like, well, you know, I just say my opinion. And I'm like, dude, people take your opinion and leave it as comments on other people's videos. There's also- You have to be careful. There's also this whole thing where these opinions are transforming into dog whistles, especially like racist yes. dog whistles or attacking queer people dog whistles. So like a lot of these people are just like, oh, I just don't like Re- uh, like Rave as a character. It's like, yeah, but you also didn't like Kelly Marie Tran or, or like... Um, What's her name? She plays Ray. Daisy oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. My brain just stopped. Like these are becoming the same. This the like it's it's one thing to not like a character. Like that's very different. But when you're having the exact same argument for not just women and gay people and like people of color, like it becomes a pattern. And it's these quote unquote, I'm just having an opinions are transforming into dog whistles to like rally up like the fandom in is. Exactly, exactly. And like, because people know that even if, even if I'm not a racist, uh, your audience is. And that's why they've latched on to you is because you are providing them with the ammunition they will use to attack people of color or queer people or women. And I actually, I, ha- I won't say who because I don't want to put this Disney creator on blast. Um, but I have a casual acquaintance with one of the creators of a show and there, these people are very good at looking professional and he didn't realize that he had liked a tweet from one of these very racist people. And I had to like, I DM'd him privately and I explained the situation, like who they were and stuff like that. And he was completely tricked by them because on the surface- It's not they looked... the first version of the story that I've heard or yeah. personally borne witness to. Yeah, and, and especially for someone like him as a creator, he gets so many like notifications of like fan art and fan creations and blah, 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 and people writing articles about his show that he doesn't have time to vet every single person. And it's, and, and that's also very scary that- these people, because they monetize this hatred, they also can now spend the money to look professional, to spin these crazy stories and theories and hatred. And it, it does become a cycle. Um, I, and then the clickbait, like the clickbait, it was crazy. Like the, 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 Good the, Lord, the, the clickbait. fucking clickbait that I was just like, will Luke Skywalker die in the Kenobi okay. show? So oh that article, God. that article actually, actually, I have had to defend that article to multiple people because. Okay, please do. I didn't click you, on it. I was like, I'm not giving article. you. Okay. No, so I, didn't, article, I did not want to click on that. The article is making a point about clickbait. Oh, interesting. The article okay. is a satire. So the the author goes through and genuinely lists out like five reasons that they could potentially kill Luke Skywalker <laughs> off in the finale. 
<laughs> but the point that they're making at the end is that this type of article is ridiculous. Obviously, they're not going to kill Luke. Why oh. would you write something like this except to get enraged clicks and likes? Right. And the fact that multiple people have discussed this article without knowing that it's satire. Oh, and I just fell for it too. Raises the same point. No, I mean, no shade to people, but that article was making that point really effectively and creatively well, that when you write an article like that, it will get discussed in this context and get attention regardless of whether or not people actually read the article. Because that's it, so smart. It's it was genuinely a good it's it's interesting satire because it was mistaken for the thing it was intending to satirize, and that was the point of it. Oh, that's so cool. So, but it was that same type of thing. Like, and I was almost glad that Obi-Wan Kenobi was only five weeks because we didn't have some of the ridiculousness like we did for Mando with, with its eight-week run. Theories swirling and leak and will x character show up and i but that's that's actually something i really love about fandom like that's one of my favorite parts about fandom like that's actually why i prefer the weekly format over binge only just because i like but 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 that's it's it can easily go bad which is very much the conversation we're having right now um because it can turn toxic it can turns bad and like but i i do enjoy that part of like be like just chatting with my friends and dms and just being like oh my god like what do you think is gonna happen what's your theories do you think satine will show up oh my god getting in in discords and getting on dms on twitter even getting on twitter itself or I, I love listening to different podcasts. I have a rule to not listen to podcast episodes about a show until we have recorded our episode. So because we fell a little bit behind, there was a point where I had like, this was when I had COVID and then I immediately moved right afterwards and then uh, jammed my foot up and couldn't walk and got summoned for jury duty. And it was, there was a thing, there was a lot happening during about a two week period. Uh, listeners of the show will recognize this as the episode I recorded in the closet. Probably won't be the last time I go back into oh the closet God. on this show. Back into the closet. I oh, go honey. back into the closet. Honey. But one thing I really enjoy is after I've recorded the episode, is I then get to go and listen to other shows cover it. So I get to to listen to the Pink Milk episodes. I get to listen to Rupaps. I get to listen to Fulcrum Transmissions. Uh, First Steps actually timed their show so they could cover Obi-Wan Kenobi weekly. So the premise of First Steps is that one of the hosts, Andy, they have never seen Star Wars and don't know what's happening in it. So they have watched through all of the the prequels, the Clone Wars, the Bad Batch, and that you can tell they kind of sped up a little bit so that they could watch Kenobi as it aired really fascinating but it's fun for me to get to immerse myself in these discussions because good fan culture is something that can be very rewarding and even instances where we don't agree with each other can be very rewarding the toxicity has built its own cottage industry and has made that cottage industry around inserting itself into these fan spaces and like punching holes in them and that really has irked me about the discussion around this show then i guess the better question is how do we fix it what do we do 
I, I find like not giving those people platforms, like not even giving them the time of day is helpful at times, like not retweeting them, but like screenshotting. Screenshotting want, is great. Oh, 100%. Engagement. If you're on Twitter, screenshot, block out their name. Don't even give them the promotion. It's an ongoing conversation in the fandom, particularly on social media spaces. Like where's the line between, I don't want to engage with somebody looking for attention and where do I need to call out this toxicity where I see it? And that's sort of the the issue is finding the balance between that. Where do I disengage versus where am I going to call this bullshit out? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I personally find a lot of joy in not engaging, but purposely just going in and reporting tweets <laughs> and reporting accounts. Like that's like, that's where I find like my happy place. Like I, I know everybody has like a badge of honor of being blocked by Gina Carano. I love just going and reporting Gina, Gina Carano's tweets. That's like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> well, I also know that something that has been really cool is when somebody posts something that's especially vile, a lot of people call them out. There was a critic who described Leia in, I think, episode two as, quote, so annoying that you he wanted to elbow her in the face. Yeah. And, and I, everybody piled on like, dude, she's 10. Have you never met a 10-year-old girl? Have you never met a 10-year-old? First of all, have you never met a 10-year-old girl? Second of all, listen to what you just said. You just said, I want to commit violence against a child. What the yeah. fuck is wrong with you and, but no, everybody do, just dogpiled on that which was correct and I you do, should do that yes and i do think it is like a situational thing like there are some things right. that must be called out there like there are things that must be called out um and that should be said and should be amplified but like when you're in this like very public space you have to be held accountable because you are being you are reaching a wide audience it's, it's one thing when it's like joe schmo troll with like seven followers right. who may or may not be a bot it's different when you have a major platform and you're reaching a much wider audience like th those are the situations where it should be called out I have two Hope-specific questions uh, that I specifically want to direct to Hope. Yeah, one we'll of them. We'll start with the slightly more uh, fun one of the two. So the Grand Inquisitor, Yes. that is the question. Okay, where do you want me to start? <laughs> No, like, uh, like how I, how I, how he was in the show. What about him? Quit, like in general. Well, like what, what did you think? Well, let's let's think of what we thought of him in the show specifically. I, I from the get go was very pro his look. I know like the first one, like images came out. Everybody was like, not everyone was just like, it doesn't look like the movie from 2005. It doesn't look like the animation. And of course it doesn't look like the animation. It's live action. Um, and so I, I actually didn't have a problem with it. And plus at the time they were like promo shots. So like it didn't have like the finishing effects and stuff like that. I loved, I thought there's, there's one shot in particular that I just knew that Rupert friend did his homework. He nailed it. And it's, it's in the final episode where like Darth Vader is just like, we gotta go after Kenobi. I'm obsessed. And like the Grand Inquisitor is just like, sir, we, we can't do this. And he's like, no, Kenobi, we gotta do this. And like, you see him blurry in the background. He just kind of purses his lips and his cheeks suck in. He's holding his tongue and he has this look just like this fucking guy. <laughs> and it captured 
the sass of his animation counterpart. We're talking about a man who fell to the dark side because all he wanted to do was read fucking books. That's why he failed to the fucking dark side because this drama ass queen was just like, I want to read books. And if you actually like read up about like the lies of the temple cards are incredibly tragic because they essentially give up their, both their identity and their autonomy. And the fact that he just wanted the freedom to read books and Jocasta knew was like, no. Um, and he fell to the dark side. He was like, fuck that. And then the very first thing he does in the comics is go to the archives and just starts going through books. <laughs> like, that's what he does. And that's like, that's like like a couple of weeks after Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, like is, he's just like no it, books. <laughs> no book. This is all Bradley from the the Charles Soule Darth Vader run. One of oh, my okay. favorite pieces of Star Wars that's ever been created. I love that run. I love Momen. I love everything they do with the Inquisitorias. Like I, I uh, that is one of top 10 pieces of star wars ever created we'll, we'll, we'll get um, you into the comics next bradley we've just introduced bradley to the concept of reading oh well he was a figment of my imagination until about an hour ago so. <laughs> that's, that's um, true but no like like that moment and like his entire gravitas and like how he would just he chewed every fucking scene he was in and it just it rang so true to his animation counterpart like my dream post that I want to write one day is why the Grand Inquisitor is, if not one one of them, if not the most important character of Rebels, because he is the catalyst for the show. He is Kanan's narrative foil. He's the reason that Kanan does everything because he wasn't even going to train Ezra until the Inquisitor showed up. Um, like he is Kanan's narrative foil and they were both on the same path and they fell into two different places and they went two different paths until they crossed and who is it that knights canaan it's the inquisitor and uh, like i i love this character and he just has this importance i'm rambling where am i going with this <laughs> uh and, the the grand inquisitor translated from animation oh, to live action by rupert friends acting and yes thank you and, <laughs> we were at and so like he has this but he also is this and fascinating character in the show he is sassy like one of my favorite scenes is like constantine is behind him talking and he just kind of gives this look of like oh this fucking guy um and he is just this like drama scene chewing person who is a powerhouse in every single scene he's in but he's also the reason that kanan grows and con compare that to who he is and um kenobi he still has all that the only difference is, is that anakin's not growing and so you're seeing the inquisitor in a place where he's kind of stuck he doesn't have all of his powers and he also gets taken out for a good chunk of the show but like the few scenes he's in he is still this terrifying creature he is like he i call him like he's the numbers guy like he's the one that's like we can't kidnap senators kids what the fuck and like he's the only one doing his damn job because when obi-wan flees the planet after his fight with vader there's no fucking star destroyer there grande was like no i'm not gonna get my ass chewed out by palpatine i'm gonna go after those fucking rebels like he's the one that knows how to do his job he's the only one that can do the job because everybody else is stuck in their book bullshit and he's like no i'm gonna do my job and then go home and read my books what was interesting to me is is the role he served in the the first two episodes he's reva's antagonist 
So Riva, if looking at Riva as the protagonist of her own story, for the first two episodes, he is her antagonist. And then it becomes the fifth brother and then it becomes Vader and then it becomes her own trauma. She goes through several antagonists over the course of the show, but for the first two episodes, he is the big force actively pressing against her that she is having to, to push through. And I thought that was an interesting use of the character. I also thought it was interesting from an acting standpoint, how Rupert Friend managed to do a different character than Jason Isaacs, but the same character. It was very much him in a different point of his life. He actually reminded me a little bit more of his comic counterpart. And it's it very much is an earlier part of his life. I thought it translated very well, especially because they're still in this time where there are still so many Jedi to hunt. But they reach this point in the comics where like Vader and him are looking at a list and they're like, wow, we really did kill most of the Jedi. What do we do now? Sit on our asses they even, what the going to do. They even talk um, about it in the first episode of the show. They're like, we're running out of Jedi to hunt. Yeah, like this is, this is the Inquisitors at their prime. And then they start reaching a point where they start getting killed off. And because there's not Inquisitors to replace them, they become a dying breed as well. And they become the very thing that they're killing because they're dying off and there's no dark side red saber people to replace them because there are none. There's no Jedi to corrupt because they did their job so well. It actually very much reminded, we just recorded this episode last night, which is why it's fresh in my brain. We were just recording an episode last night of Bad Batch where the Kaminoan prime minister is killed. And he tells Lama, he tells Nala say, I fear we created our own detriment. And that's exactly yes. kind of where the Inquisitors are. Like they, they did their job so well that they cannot continue to survive and function and, and thrive. And oh, can, can I talk about the moment where he just comes out and he's just like, surprise, bitch. I thought you thought <laughs> the last of me. You made the same joke. Did you? Did you? Yeah, because Bradley, you also described that as like a Ryan Murphy moment. That was oh. very, he comes out. That was the same thing. Yeah. That girl, that was his mean girls moment of just like, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. And that's how I, the just, level of petty that he is that he comes out and he's like, oh, by the way, I need my little you know, Girl Scout badge, just to, just to top it off, you know? And Vader, Vader, who normally is the scene stealer, right? Vader, if if Vader is in a scene, Vader is in the center of that scene and everything revolves around him. That is one of the only instances in the show where Vader's just kind of standing back like, I'm appreciating what's going on here. I have trained you well, both in the dark side and in the art of sheer abject pettiness. Anakin Skywalker is a drama boy. Like he yes. lives for drama and like he lets him like sitting back just being like, yes, do things for my amusement. No, I, I love that scene. And I think part of it, I will say is like some of it was like personal things because I also write Commander Keeman from the Thrawn novels. He's one of my favorite characters to write in fan fiction. And I write him as the evil Hufflepuff to Grande and Vader. And so I was like, if, if Keeman was there, like this would be the perfect scene of Star Wars for Hope because the three of them are evil bros and Keeman's their evil Hufflepuff. Um, I will also throw out there that uh, Rupert Friend is extremely hot in person. Yes. Uh, just as a side note, uh, Rupert Friend also extremely hot. Uh, just this is important information. I I have been in the same room as him at Celebration. 
uh, and he is an extremely attractive man. He, he seems so, and yeah, I just, I, I also love- Also very, very, very lovely from what I saw of him. I, I just, I loved his take on it, and to take an animated character and bring it to live action is not easy. Um, I, I have my own issues with Rosaria Dawson and how she handles Ahsoka, but like even then, like and but like to use someone else like Katie Sackoff, like that's not an easy tra- transition bringing Bo-Katan from animation into live action. Um, and I feel like Rupert Friend was the person who has done it best. Um, in his very few, every few scenes, like his very 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 few scenes, he hit who Grande boyfriend is from his Rebels counterparts to his comic counterparts, even to like his post-death comics where he is still serving Vader as this like horrible tormented ghost. And he's God bless you, Charles Soule, for I love everything Charles you're Soul. doing in Star Wars 2020 right now. But there's uh, even hints of shout that Shout out sadness. to the comics. There's even hints of that sadness that he's doing all of this to like no gain, like, like, like he is serving Lord Vader. He's trying to be the very best. He wants to go get the rebels because that's the smart thing to do. And this guy's just obsessed with his old Obi-Wan friend. And depending on how you ship it, maybe his old boyfriend. Like there's like all this obsession here. And the dude's just trying to do his job so he can go read his goddamn books. And so like, I think to me, Rupert Friend captured Grande Boyfriend the best of all that translate like translating animation into live action characters i outside of like chopper but he's a droid so. <laughs> and, and he's gonna be in the ahsoka show he was in rogue one for like in the background oh, like, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then and then he had his entire web series on rebels recon. that is true he was he was the star of rebels recon and he did have a brief character arc on rebels recon where that he thought so he good. was the star of rogue one <laughs> And then he went British. I love it. I, uh, I, I, I will say, I miss Rebels Recon. I wish more shows had Rebel Recon shows. I, um, I miss Andy Gutierrez talking to Pablo Hidalgo every week. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite part. Can, can you imagine having a Rebels Recon like show for something like Kenobi, where they like sit down every week with the people and like talk about the episode and like take fan like I I miss Rebels Recon. That was such a good and it was so chock full of like context and information and they would answer questions. Mm-hmm. So I, I also do want to ask uh, before we dive into our. Our second to last, there's a tiny little note I'm going to end on. But before we dive into our second to last major point of discussion, uh, Hope, I do want to ask you. Uh, so you're a big proponent of Star Wars animation. And you like to talk about things in the context of Star Wars animation. So I wanted to ask you directly in a place where you could talk about it. What did you think of the relationship between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Star Wars animation? I, as, as much as I do love animation, I feel like this show should have always been live action because of Ewan and Hayden. To, to use, a, a, as you were asking the question, the thing that just jumped to my mind was a recent episode of The Nostalgia Critic, and he was talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Is he still on? Yeah. Is he still doing stuff? Yeah. I was watching The Nostalgia Critic when I was in high school. Yeah, he took a long break, um, and he's gotten a lot Brother, better. Do you even not, know what The uh, Nostalgia Critic is? No. Thank God, keep it that way. 
like i will say like he used to be a lot worse and cringy and he, they've definitely like have righted a lot of their wrongs but anyway like to he was talking about Spider-Man No Way Home because that movie has a lot of similar beats to Into the Spider-Verse. And he was arguing that like, while he ha- he thinks that Into the Spider-Verse is a better movie, there are things that only No Way Home could do, being the climactic fight between um, Tom Holland, the Green Goblin, and as Tom Holland is about to like kill the Green Goblin, um, Tobey Maguire comes out and stops him. And he was saying that only... T- Toby Maguire they didn't even have dialogue in that scene only the, the reason it's powerful is because of the fact it's Toby Maguire who is redeeming himself from his movies and only Toby Maguire could make that scene work and that's how I feel about this show as much as I love you like uh, uh animation and I love Matt Lantern and I love uh, and like how he does Anakin and everything and all that there is something so special about it being Ewan and Hayden and especially like that final fight where his mask is broken open and like they are seeing each other with their actual eyes and it's it is the OG guys there and only they could do it to have Ewan crying looking at Hayden and Hayden smiling and going I killed Anakin wouldn't work as well in animation because the reason the Ahsoka Vader fight works is because it started in animation and in animation if they did the Ahsoka Vader fight with Rosario and Hayden it would be so vastly different and it would hit differently because it's it's not Ashley and Matt it's the fact that it's Ashley and Matt yeah that's what I was gonna that's what I was gonna say uh real fast that part of the interesting thing to me about the two is that both Ashley and Ewan are talking to their Anakin Skywalker. Yes. Hey, hey, yes. Ewan is talking to Hayden. Ashley is talking to Matt. Yes. And that's why it works. So as I, I this show should ha- always be live action as it always had to be Hayden and Ewan in that final moment, looking each other down because that is the, not just the emotional weight of the characters, the emotional weight of the last 20 years of prequels. They were the guys who formed that bond for us prequel kids to grow up with, to now have this nostalgia. And I think there's something to be said too for mediums, the idea of, of something maybe working in one medium and not necessarily working in another. And, and is this a story that is the most effective in live action where we can see the actors emoting? Is this a story that's most effective in animation where the visual design itself and the voice acting is what's gonna carry it through? Is this going to be the best on, on the written word, on, on a prose book where you're hearing the voices in your own imagination where you're simply hearing Mark Thompson's voice? God bless you, Mark Thompson, for cosplaying the entire Star Wars celebration Anaheim getting up on your panel stages in full-ass cosplay. Also, Mark Thompson doing the scare voice is just lovely in person. <gasps> it's del- I got to hear him do the scare voice in a room oh, for oh, the other book panel, but oh, my, that's why- My lady guardian would have fell apart like <laughs> Vader ripping open that ship. <laughs> he's, he's so talented. This is why when we have conversations about adapting things, there's a lo- there's a lot of conversation about you know adapting books into something else, or adapting the comics into something. And I look at it and I'm like, it's kind of a case by case basis for me. But the question is, can you make this story work in the other medium and have the same effect? I that's part of the reason why I'm 
so nervous about the Ahsoka show because I'm exactly I very strongly feel like that the rebel story started in animation it should finish in animation like i'm very i'm i'm gonna have to check so many biases at the door just to even watch the show to see a live action Hera that's not vanessa to see a live action sabine that's not tia and like to see whoever plays ezra not being taylor like those are things that i have to check at the door so i don't ruin the experience for myself but it's also, oh, there's a whole also spiel about like animation is for kids and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's not, well, it's, it's a fucking medium. And just, just the backlash to the Oscars and stuff like that. Like there, there, there's a big, I, I don't want to see animation get replaced by live action because it does have a very, <sighs> animation kept Star Wars alive for 10 years. For 10 years, the only on-screen Star Wars we had was fucking Clone Wars. That was it. That was Star Wars and it kept it alive. And so it has this very important part of Star Wars history. And my biggest fear is seeing animation. Like it's cool to see Katie Sackhoff in live action playing Bo-Katan. It's cool to see that, but I don't want to lose the importance of her in animation and why that was important in that story that came and just have it all be rewritten for a live action audience because of the star wars funnel where live action is what's consumed most by people when when i was i was texting you through a lot of the panels throughout star wars celebration anaheim one of the ones that i had texted you about specifically but one of the best moments for me was when dave filoni came out and it was at the beginning of the tales of the jedi And basically, like, there had been a lot of conversation, especially after the Ahsoka thing, about it moving. And he basically got out and rebuked the entire idea that animation was secondary to him. And he got up and basically said, no, animation is just as important. It's all Star Wars. It all comes together to form Star Wars. I like they better start fucking paying their animators because there's a reason that the entire animation community is has been under strike for a good part of this year because they are- New deal for animation, let's go. New deal for animation, let's go. New deal for animation, let's go. Because animation is cinema. And like, I just type in the words animation is cinema into Google and read about the backlash that happened to the Oscars. Like it's it's so important. And it's also just such an important part of Star Wars history as well. Like a, a story like The Clone Wars, you can do it in live action or you can do it as a comic. And in fact, they did. Uh, in the Dark Horse comics, but it's not going to be the same as animation. That was a story that the way they told it, it's really interesting to me reading uh, Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. Sorry, Brad. Oh, no, Asajj Ventures is in Stories of Light and Dark. So there's another book you could don't fucking roll your eyes at me, Bradley. Uh, I felt like I had to address you to remind our, our listeners that you are, in fact, still in the room. Um, I'm here. But one one interesting thing about reading stories of light and dark is it's Clone Wars episodes told through a different medium and how they are able to use that medium and the strengths of the medium of the written word to do something that the episodes could not do, which is get into the characters' heads and write out what their thought processes are and what they're thinking of things or say things from a certain point of view that maybe we weren't getting in the episode. Neither one is better than the other. The difference in the mediums led to different experiences of essentially the same story. 
which I thought was interesting. Something that I, I, as you were talking, I thought of is think about the final episode of Clone Wars. Rex is in what, like, um, is, is in a fighter. Ahsoka is literally running down a crashing ship, like jumping from like from wreckage to wreckage to try and get to wreck. Rex, how would they do that in live action? Like it would be, well. it would be such a spectacle. It'd be so costly. It would just, it would, and it would really push the limits and the budget and the volume. And it just, it's, it's a scene like that that would only that works so well in animation because it can just do the thing. But if like, but if you have something like that, like say the climactic battle in Rise of Skywalker, which is kind of similar, they're riding horses across the Star Destroyer and stuff like that, it just looks different, you know. And so, like, the mediums do have their own places. And Kenobi always needed to be live action. It would just not hit the same way if it was animation. And if it was, like, even if it was, like, Hayden and Ewan voicing, it just still wouldn't still not be the, the same, same way. Yeah. I do also think, too, that one thing it did very well was, was respecting the medium of animation and what had come before in the animation in some of the small details. Like Ahsoka, uh, not Ahsoka, Vader doing the like Ahsoka pose with the two lightsabers. Like even just a small moment like that, that somebody could look at and go, yep, there's Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. There's the the Ahsoka in Vader. There's the Ahsoka's influence on Anakin or vice versa. But I do want to ask as as we're coming up on towards the end here, I, I want to ask both of you and then answer myself. So there's been a lot of talk about more Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's been a lot of talk about where do we go from here? Kathleen Kennedy has said that if there is demand for it, they will make it. Uh, The screenwriter of the original Obi-Wan Kenobi movie has claimed that there was actually ideas for three movies worth and this was just the first one. But I want to ask both of you, what would you think of a potential sequel and what would you want that potential sequel to look like? like bradley you go ahead and go first because i feel like we need to hear what your voice sounds like since <laughs> 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 for a while. no no no, it's I, totally fine i don't like to ruin you know if we're having a really good discussion i want to make sure that we get it all on tape essentially you know before we because i can edit everything down that's not a problem but i you know i do want to make me sure. out completely <laughs> right yeah i still have to remove well, like half of charles's you know rants look from this if, episode look, so it's if fine. bradley if bradley but, could remove people entirely from the show i wouldn't be on the show <laughs> right um no but okay so in terms of a kenobi sequel you know i hate using that word because again, that it's like the idea of like, oh, well, this is a limited series. And it's like, oh, well, it was so popular. We have to do a season two. You know, it, it's like, eh, well, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So my my theory or my theoreticalness of this potential sequel will not necessarily be another Kenobi show necessarily. Um, I think there's a couple ways you could do it. Um, theoretically yes if we're gonna do another thing with kenobi it would have to be another live action ewan thing i don't know what that would entail um that would be interesting to see i also thought maybe in a couple years another interesting thing would be to do another um maybe young leia centric vivian lyra blair like you know when she gets a little older maybe when she's a teenager and coming back to the role possibly playing a young Leia, something like that would be interesting to me. And like, cause these are like what I'm thinking of and what I'm coming up with are not necessarily 
Kenobi sequels, right? These are things from Kenobi like that Roken, you can use. Like a path show about Roken and Haja. Exactly. Yeah, Something I, along those lines. I'll go, I'll go ahead and reveal my big thing. I have two potential sequel-ish things that you could do. And one of them that I'll say now, because I think it'll contribute to the ongoing discussion, is I, my hope is that rather like Mando spun off the quote-unquote Mandoverse, rather than see a direct sequel to Obi-Wan Kenobi, where he's the protagonist again, I'd like to see it spin off into different shows about different people, the way we have Mando, but then also the Book of Boba Fett's first half, or Ahsoka, not to throw shade on the Book of Boba Fett, but I am going to throw shade on the Book of Boba Fett. But the, the idea of, you know, Reva, tell, telling a story about Reva and have that be its own thing or telling a story about Haja and, the pa- Haja and Roken in the path and where does that go from here and, you know, continue on through this time period exploring these different people. I would love if they do a Reva show, like having Kenobi almost be her master from afar where she's just like, I'm a spy, I'm backsliding. And like, like so, and he's kind of that pseudo Ben Kenobi that he is to Luke at the time where he's just kind of there to guide her. But the show is still mostly about her, but like he might check in every once in a while to like ground her a little bit and so, like remind her why she's doing things. So like Reva's love Victor to Obi-Wan Kenobi's love Simon. I've never seen either on a bad day. Sort of. I was thinking more like the way I was processing what she was just saying was more like uh, Kenobi becomes the Anakin and Reva becomes the Ahsoka. Because Anakin or or even to like connect it back to Rebels like we get Yoda two times when Ezra really needs Yoda. Right. And like and it was it's two moments where like he needs somebody to guide him through the force. And those are like two moments where like uh, Obi-Wan could step in and be like, here's some advice. And then like Reva's like, okay, I'm right now. I'm going to do my own thing and figure this out. So the, the plot of, of Love, Victor, very, very, very briefly. Uh, so you have Love, Simon, which is the film that came out. And that's about uh, a straight actor playing a gay teenager. And it's like a rom-com and it's a movie that I watched. And then they did a spinoff series, Love, Victor. And in Love, Victor, Victor is a straight actor playing a gay teenager. You can tell I'm a little mad about these two things. But he asks, the the inciting into the show is that he asks Simon, the protagonist of the film, for advice through Instagram DM. And throughout the season, as Victor is going through his own struggles, he will reach out to Simon and Simon will like give him advice. And over the course of the show, eventually like they stop talking as much and Victor finally tells him, I don't need you anymore. I, I can sort of figure my own stuff out from here. So that almost, that would be an interesting relationship where Obi-Wan just kind of pops in. It's a Reva show, but he pops in occasionally to dispense advice while he's off meditating with Qui-Gon and doing a weird Force-centric movie with midichlorians that we're never going to see. Well, I, okay, so here's the thing. Okay, I've, I was trying to like not do too much of this because I don't like speculating too much, but I had two different You fucking love ideas. speculating. What the fuck are you on about? Well, I had you two different- You will speculate till the goddamn cows come home. 
So I had two different Reva show ideas. And I thought these would be good ways to incorporate certain characters into the Star Wars franchise that could come into it that exist in other media. I kind of hinted at this uh, when we did our finale, when you were like, who, who is the person that could do this show with Reva? And I have two. Yes, I do want to know the answer to this. So I have two versions of this sh- show that I theoretically okay. could do with Reva. Okay. And pitch my second me, one. Right in the face. I know. Okay. So this is the pitch deck. You guys are, you guys are Kathleen Kennedy and Disney corporate, right? You guys are there. Lucas Why do I have there. to be Bob Chapin? I, hold on. I want to be Disney corporate. Well, whatever. You guys are Kathleen and Disney. So. This is what I'm pitching to her, okay? So okay. this my my idea is this. I have two kind of vague ideas. So we know that the video game Jedi Survivor happens during the Kenobi show. That's coming out soon. And I cuz I did my research, I looked this up. You didn't look it up, bitch. I told you the second oh, I, Jedi Survivor dropped. Well, anyway, my my thing is so my for my you first don't know how to version use My first version of the show would be a essentially a team up between Reva and Cal Kestis. And the reason why I think they would work together in a show in this aspect is because one, they're both young people, right? So it works out because they're just young. And so there's already an audience of, I can see myself in these characters, right? You have everything there because they're young people, but also because they're two sides of the same coin. They are both young Jedi slash Padawans, younglings, whatever, who had to go through the purge and then had to diverge and go on their own. And then they both took very different paths. So Reva, i.e. being more dark-sided path, Cal kind of trying to do good, whatever. I didn't play the video games, but I assume he's a hero, right? Clearly so, we can tell, but yes, he, he is. Right. But so I think that would be an interesting Especially concept. because Cal, Cal couldn't save Trilla. And he would have a second chance with Reva. Spoilers for Jedi Fallen Order. Um, it, it would be. It, it's like five years old. It's five years old. We know what the end of Jedi but, Fallen Order but was. But that's a good That's a good point is that, you know, the only other quote character that is a main character in that series is an Inquisitor female woman, you know, person. And that's an interesting take. Like if he has to kind of, you know be like oh i need redemption and some aspect of his life i'm gonna jump in in here real fast bradley has not played the game he does not know about sir junto or grease or bd1 okay so when he says all the other main character only the main character he knows right mando season two so you've seen a version of bd1 he's a sweet boy he has a little tippy tap beat the bd canonically stands for best droid this is canon because i said it was canon i'm going to keep insisting it's canon until wikipedia updates to reflect my view on the world because as a white man i feel like this is how i i can make things happen i will just keep insisting it's true until it becomes true what's the other pitch okay yes, well, first wait give me your pitch. give me your rating on that one what do you think like out of, like out of five stars what would you give that like Theoretically, if that was something well, they would do, if you like. I, I could see it, but especially because the actor that plays Cal looks just like his character because they just modeled him. So they already have an actor to play Cal because he right. does it anyway. Um, I think that'd be interesting to bring the video games a little bit more to the forefront. So I, I dig it. Um the original pitch I would have given a three. You explained the parallels and I, I bumped it up to a four. That's a four okay. star pitch right there. Okay, so uh, I maybe would want to see a treatment. Okay. 
Well, I would have you do it because I don't know anything about Cal Custis. So uh, you're going to have to write So if you were to pitch that to me as an executive, I maybe would want to see a treat. Gotcha. Okay. So now here we go. Here's my secondary pitch that I feel a little bit more passionate about because I think the parallels in this version work better, but there's a little bit of an age discrepancy that I don't know if this works, but, but you know what? Not that Star Wars gives a fuck about age discrepancy or whether or not you're related to somebody because incest is great. Clone Wars was three years. (laughs) So, you know, Padme is only what, like five years older than Anakin. And it's like disgusting and gross that they're like together or something. So that I'm just prefacing with that. Okay. Wait until they learn about Han and Leia. But that's my point. Exactly. I don't think it necessarily met. Okay. So please, please just tell us who this person is. So this person was actually name dropped in the show. Okay. Jesus fucking Christ, Bradley. Now, Jesus, Bradley. Hold on. Yep, hold on. Hold on. Okay. I, I don't know this. I, I don't know so, this, so I want to hear it. Before you jump on me, I think a Reva and Quinlan Voss show would work really well. Ooh. Ooh. And let me tell you why. So okay. both are alive, obviously. So that's a one big thing. Um, the other thing. Thank and you now, for pointing that out. Now, Canon says... Theoretically, I think it said that he was last seen uh, during the purge or whatever, Order 66. So he's around like 38-ish around that time. So he's basically the same age as Kenobi. That, that's kind of like the whole point I was trying to make is that he's around like 48-ish in Kenobi. So that's where this next part's going to get a little weird because Reva is only theoretically 18 to 21. And I am kind of pitching this as a bromance Um so Bradley, I think wait, I wait, 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 I see what you've done here. I want to add. I see what you've done here. We're almost there. I want this to be a redemption show for both of them because Reva's story arc now is she, you know, theoretically needs redemption, but she's not dead. So she can do whatever she wants to make good on all the bad things she did. Right. Quinlan also is theoretically doing that already because he's working with the path and trying to make good on his thing. My thing is Quinlan lost the love of his life, Ventress, who was also a dark side ah, yeah, diva. I was hoping you were going to go to Dark Disciple. I was like, okay. Dark Disciple, Dark Disciple, Dark Disciple. So here's Bradley. my pitch for the show. My pitch for the show is oh, that girl, this, this is a dual show with Reva redeeming herself, right? Quinlan is redeeming himself in that he is seeing like what he could have done and the like the things that he could have done differently with Ventress in his flashbacks versus what he's now doing with Reva and that is his new kind of redemption love for all the bad past. If you want an adaptation of Dark Disciple, just pitch an adaptation of Dark Disciple. No, okay. Sneaky fucking twink. Hey, as 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 Disney corporate, I'm coming in for some notes. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I love the idea, except for the romantic aspect of it, because ages are gross. But I do think he would be an interesting master. And we were joking, we were talking earlier about like a path show. Like mm-hmm. she could join the path, and right. he could be part of it. And like so, they're like he understands what it's like to fall to the dark side, what it's like to go through that and having to redeem and fix his mistakes. And he's been doing that. So he could become a new master to her. And and having this, like seeing, I don't want to say like a Canaan, 
I, I love like the new Jedi, like the post Order sixty six Jedi. So like Kanan and um, Ezra and Ray and Luke, because they're very different Jedi from the prequel Jedi. But right. when you have someone like Quinlan who is older, he was very much a prequel Jedi, but he was still unconventional. And so I, so he has to learn how to adjust in a new era of how to break the dogmatic ways of the prequel Jedi who did harm him. They gave him trauma. He lost the love of his life because of the dogmatic ways of the order. And so now he has a new chance to help form what the new order will look like. So I actually really love that idea. And you can I... still have like Roken and Haja and like them training up um, these little force sensitive younglings. I like the idea of Quinlan helping Reva go through a process that Asajj never got to go through. That Asajj got up to the point where she came back from the dark and then died. Looking at you, Katie Lucas, Reva went to the same point and she's still alive. So I think it would be interesting to see Quinlan looking at Reva and kind of seeing this is the chance Asajj never had. And how do I help this young woman come into her own and and because she's gonna have to spend the rest of her life living with guilt living with guilt over what she did as an inquisitor and it was all for nothing so which is incidentally me inserting my own things in because guilt and redemption and ongoing guilt and having to live with that for the rest of your life is one of my favorite themes in media but speaking as disney corporate pitch to <laughs> pitch pitch to Okay, good. Well, I, I, you know, I, yeah, the romance thing was a stress, but I was as just trying much to have as, some kind of relationship there. Look, as much as... a platonic as, master Padawan relationship. Okay, then that's fine. Let's and look, Disney's like, whole thing, look, Disney's whole thing is grumpy dads adopting, like, wild colorful, <laughs> bouncy kids. Wild children. So having yeah. the reverse with a colorful, bouncy dad adopting uh, a grouchy kid? Gold. As much okay. as I do love Cal Kestis, Cameron Monaghan, if you ever... Right decide you don't want to be straight anymore call me i am gonna go with pitch too oh i was just gonna say i i he was a kind of a stretch for me i just thought that like it would be interesting in his aspect because he's already dealt with inquisitors so like to have another person who's like an ex-inquisitor essentially that would be an interesting dynamic to see together now i can see the reverse of reva showing up in the second fallen order game hear me out hear me out reva slash marin I've already seen yeah. like Reva and Trilla artwork and it's great. I do want to ask answer your original question, Bradley, because I've, I've it's I've been mulling on it. But I do want to offer a third pitch. Um okay. because I know we were saying how Hadja and Roken would be good for this show, but right. I think a really because of the character that Cassian is and the kind of angry modal muddled person that like he opens rogue one murdering somebody he's a murderer he right. has like his whole driving force is all the horrible things he did in the name of the of the republic i think reva could be a very interesting character to show up in cassian of someone who has done dark deeds and trying to find redemption definitely not in season one but from season two with that five-year time jump if if cassian is trying to be a better person but still doing the dirty deeds of the republic that way on his mind I think Reva could be a really interesting character to help him learn how to manage his own personal darkness in the name of doing something good. 
Hope, I do want to circle back around and let you answer the, the original questions of how do we feel about a potential sequel and what form would you maybe want that to take? My feelings about the original sequel is it needs to have a good script. I don't want a Toy Story 4. And mm, ah, I, yeah. I feel like Kenobi is so beautifully contained. It's such a beautiful story from start to finish. It's strong and it's powerful, but I don't want it to be like fudge. When you have fudge, it's so delicious, but when you have too much fudge, it makes you sick. And it would have to be the right script. And you have something like the first three Toy Story movies, which is a beautiful story. It tells a single story. It tells its, its beginning, middle, and end. And it's really good focus on growing up and moving away from the story of Andy and putting a close on Andy in relationship with Buzz and Woody. And then you have Toy Story 4, which is a fine movie. It's like, honestly, I watched the majority of Toy Story 4 going... Why was this made? And then I got to the last five minutes and I went, oh, okay, I see why this was made. But it still wasn't, it just felt like it unraveled a lot of the plot, the progress, and the point of the first three Toy Story movies. Right, exactly. And so I, I feel if, I, I agree, if we get anything out of Kenobi, I want it to be side characters. I want to see like Haja and Rokin yeah. and Reva. I don't really want more Kenobi. I feel like he is an emotional place where we can now see where he's going he's out of his cave he's on his way to get his house he's gonna learn from Qui-Gon he has this relationship with uh Leia and he's met Luke like he's in a place to where I feel like if we open up another series about Ewan McGregor as Kenobi it's just going to start scraping the bottom of the barrel and it's going to be too much of a good thing that's yeah, that's how definitely. I really feel about it no, I definitely agree. And I think the only, my only other thing I think I would say, and this is the last thing I'll say about sequels for Kenobi, is that they have, the only thing they've done really is if they end up ever wanting to do a sequel, they've opened up the door to where they don't have to stick with the whole thing of he has to stay on Tatooine because he's watching over Luke. Because in the finale, we learn that he has accepted that Owen and Baru can take care of things essentially. And that the they have he has to Baru can. Hell right. yes. So he has to like he's let go, right? Like that the whole thesis of the show is like you have to let go of everything. And so he lets go of Luke essentially. And like he can trust that, you know, from afar I can protect him, but I don't have to be like on his ass the whole time and watching him daily and all that stuff that he was doing in the beginning yeah. of the series. So the only thing that they've done really is opened up the fact that if we want to do something with Kenobi, we have nine years to play with. We can have him go fuck off, do whatever he wants for nine years and just come back to Luke every single time. And as long as he comes back to Tatooine, it's in line with the original movie and nothing can change. Yeah, I, I think it, it has to be the right script. And right. the one that I actually would almost want is like a take on like Yoda's Clone Wars story about how he figured out how to be a good force ghost. If they did like a super trippy series of him like figuring out how to be a force ghost. Apparently and, like, that was going to be the sequel. According oh. to the writer, he said that the, the second one was going to be about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, like, trying to it, learn. Yeah, if it's, like, trippy Force neat. Ghost stuff, like, oh, I, I'd yes. be down for that, but it has to be the right script. If it's not the yeah. right script, I don't want to see it. It'll feel wrong And, if and they fortunately, do it. Kathleen Kennedy will axe a script that she doesn't think is the right script, so. Lord and Miller solo. <laughs> I want it. 
I want to. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking more of a uh, duel of the fates. <laughs> but Lord and Miller, Star Wars, I want it so bad. Uh, they they were really going to have Ray and Poe become a thing. <laughs> I just threw up some in my mouth. <laughs> they were they were really straight up going to do okay, that. Okay, actually, no, all ships are valid. I'm not going to, like, yuck on anyone's yams. If people are Ray Poe shippers, and I know there are, like, I am totally for that, and all ships are valid. I, I, I will not mm. I will not yuck on anyone's yums because people should ship who they want. They're reasonable. I do like bringing up the sloppy Ray Poe makeout scene in Duel du- of the Fates just because that script was wild. I will, I will say, bringing it around to a lot of the points that I was going to make have already been covered, especially the point about it needs to be a good script and needs to be a story worth telling. If I were going to do an Obi-Wan Kenobi-centric sequel, you told me you have to do a show about Obi-Wan Kenobi. You have to do another six episodes about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think there are other elements of the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi that you can explore in a show. This one was about his relationship with Anakin and with the Skywalker twins. And Hope is laughing because she knows immediately who I'm going to. No, no, I just oh, had no. this like, I just had this um, moment of like, Obi-Wan listen. goes into the world between worlds and meets Stalin Geos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nix whatever I was gonna say because that I need look look, Elzar Man has Elzar Man and Luke Skywalker. Elzar Man and Luke Skywalker have had a conversation canonically in Ganon. Yeah, they oh have met God. each other. That, don't yeah. roll, don't roll your eyes, Bradley. I promise it makes sense. Charles yeah. Soul wrote it. Oh that but is- what I was gonna say is like there are other aspects of Obi-Wan Kenobi as a say. character that you can explore past. <laughs> Nicole Kidman I as knew it. Team Creed. I knew you were going to oh, say that. Yes, yes, yes. You have yes, you yes. have Katie Sackhoff right there. You have Corky Kreese right there that you're not doing anything with. Do do explore that as aspect of Obi Wan yeah. Kenobi. Explore Obi Wan as the man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be explore something with his relationship. Obi Wan got his groove back with them. Right, that you would be very interesting. You can do something like that where, yeah, he he has an adventure with like a grown-up Corky and who, by the way, is completely his kid uh, and okay, like wait. cast Nicole Kidman for as Satine flashbacks. I've got Trust an me. idea now. You've given me this idea. Okay, so oh, no. the way to- I hate doing that. A way to connect no, I, both of the versions of the sequel that we want to do, right? So- the idea is that he goes with Qui-Gon to learn all the Force crazy stuff to how to be a ghost. And in doing so, he's so connected to the Force, he finds out about Corky, that he has yes! this fucking son. And then all that stuff goes out the window. He goes, wait, before I can finish this stuff, that's, yes, it's important that I learn this ghost training stuff. I need, I can't be a whole person until I rectify the fact that I have a kid I didn't even know about. And then he goes I, and finds that Julia kid. from uh, from from Star Wars English class. This whole segment was for you. You're probably not <laughs> listening to the show, I, but this was for you. I've read the fan fiction. Um, I had to pull it up. Um, it's my very good friend, a spark of hope. Um, underscores between all the words, and she has a fic called "I Have Always Loved You." And the whole point of this fic is that Satine was saved, and she has the same like things that Bray Organa has that like the McCain 
mechanics or like Finnick Shan to like keep herself alive. And so she's been hiding out um, for her own safety on Alderaan. And she she is Corky's mother and she pretended to be his aunt to protect him and to protect Obi-Wan. And when she finds out that Obi-Wan is still alive, she seeks him out. And then they rekindle and they have lots of sex and it's a great fan fiction. But <laughs> um, I'm here for it. Star Wars yeah, HBO. I've, I've read the fan fiction. It's there. Go check House, it out. It's lovely. House of the Dragon, but Star Wars. It's <laughs> just, just Star Wars. Yes. Uh, so I, I do want to wrap it up and I do want to get to Hope's Pluggables. But before I do that, we have one final matter. We have one more. The thing somebody uh. fucked up. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Because this is, this is credit to you, Bradley. Oh, uh, okay. On, I meant to do this at the top of the show, but then uh, Hope made a dirty joke right at the beginning and it completely derailed the whole thing. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Not that's sorry. What, that's what we do here. Um, on episode six, I brought up that some people had pointed out that the slice that we see in Vader's head ah! is in the same spot as where Obi-Wan slices his helmet off. And some people were interpreting that lightsaber wo- that lightsaber blade was what caused that wound. And Bradley, neither of us went as far as to say that's what it was. Because I remember specifically saying last week, we haven't checked yet. You went and checked. So. Yeah, well, so like when I was, well, two things. One, someone sent me like, I think uh, pictures from screenshots from Revenge of the Sith. And I think it's it's kind of hard to tell if, uh, I haven't watched the movie itself, but the screenshots are vague enough to be like, oh, he already has the scar from the initial fight um, when he's like all burned and he's on the lava, you know, thing. And when Sidious mm-hmm. is leaning down to like kind of, touch him or whatever and now i didn't go as far to look at the part where he's getting the armor for the first time to see if the scar is there or not um which would be probably an obvious more obvious kind of um thing but uh re-watching kenobi the first time we see darth vader in the back to tank it's it's very small but i'm pretty sure you can still see the scar already on his head so. I noted the same thing because you sent it to me and i hadn't gotten to episode two yet you sent it to me earlier today i hadn't gotten so i did note it's not as big as it is in the originals, uh, but it is definitely there. So we we have kind of come to the conclusion that the probably the lightsaber is not what caused that wound. I I just have to comment on something similar but different. I love that everyone has pointed out that Ahsoka cut one side. Obi-Wan cut the other side and it's a very sad callback to the Mortis arc where Obi-Wan says as long as the three of us together nothing bad can happen and then my heart breaks and and the only person who could actually save him was Luke which took off the whole helmet I think they literally just said on the pink milk recording that I can't remember was it Chase who might have said I really didn't like that they reuse that thing from rebels until someone pointed out to me that it's on the other side of the face and then i got it i mean i i also about that note about them reusing that too 
it's the Star Wars funnel. The like the most people watches live action, and then the television shows, and then animation, and then like books and comics. Like it's the funnel, and so like not everybody has watched Rebels. So that's the first time of us seeing it on live action. So it's hitting a much wider audience. So I didn't mind it, but I do like it's the opposite because I do like that thematicness of like Ahsoka had one side and Obi Wan had the other. And Luke is the one that succeeded because he took the whole mask off. All right. Well, Hope, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, having me. Actually, Bradley, I'm really happy to meet you because yeah, I'm actually, absolutely. I would say I've heard a lot of lovely things about you, but it's Charles. But <laughs> being able to like meet you myself, you are lovely, dear. And thank it's, you. It's a joy to be able to speak with you. And I Charles well. is wrong. I think I think Yoda would just love you, Bradley. Uh, <laughs> my Yoda, my dear sleazy Yoda. No, uh, no. He's Charles, so much fun. Charles, don't listen to this part. Charles is mean, and you're lovely. Okay. <laughs> well, no, hope, it's it's been such a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I need to stop setting. It's two fucking hours. It's always two fucking hours with these guest episodes because all our guests are amazing. Uh, but hope if. If people want to listen to you more, where, please reiterate, can the people find you? Um, I am the one of the co-hosts of J Guys and Jedi. Uh, like I said, we're currently going through Bad Batch. We're actually almost done. We're in part one. We just recorded part one of the finale. So we're just wrapping up Bad Batch. And we're about to go into Mando season two. You can listen to me there with my co-podcaster, Chris. Um, I write for the Geeky Waffle and I, I usually write about animation. I will say, I can say this now because um, Arzu was originally writing the Bad Batch recaps, but I'm going to be taking over writing about the Bad Batch recaps when the show comes back. So I'm really excited about that. You can also, uh, so Geeky Waffle, I've been on Bookmark and Busy. I've been on Space Waffles, which is our Star Wars show. I've been on Straight Out of Home Video, which is our Disney Straight to Home Movies epi- uh, podcast. We're about to record for Chip and Dale, the reboot tomorrow. So that'll be coming out soon. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. I moderate for Pink Milk on Friday nights. And I also write fan fiction over on AO3 under the name Chaos Lydia. I have a high, high Republic fan fiction called Fine Thread. I've done a lot of Rogue One micro fiction because I ship Cassian and Bodhi because they're sweet babies. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to so. say Cassian and K2SO, and I was like, huh, that's an interesting take, but okay. The entire movie is Cassian looking for Bodhi. Bodhi is the plot of the movie. Cassian, okay. the only reason Cassian gets Jen is because he's looking for Bodhi. His entire movie is about finding Bodhi. Hear, hear me out, though. Sniper what pilot, if, baby. What if Rogue One giant polycule? Oh, I, I love that polycule family. Yes. I really do. I love that. Baze and Sherrod are the dads. Like they're everybody's oh, okay. dads. I, I love I love it so much. I actually yeah. So you can also find me at AO3 and I have a lot of I have a high republic fic I'm very proud of. So well, thank you again for coming. I normally like whenever we have a guest on in the show, I, I try to do little gimmicks, especially the sign-off. If they have a sign-off, I will traditionally like do the sign off from whatever show that they're on however i don't remember the full two true freaks thing the only part i remember is chris (laughs) saying if you have friends and go outside (laughs) and talk to people why not tell them about two true freaks i mean i could very quickly explain what i did the grand inquisitor's penis looks like (laughs) okay bradley let's go ahead and and run the social that'd be be really on brand for me (laughs) Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gates. Did Charles fuck something up? 
Email us and let us know at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze, and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. <laughs> okay, running socials. Bye. No, no, it's a, it's, a, it's like a get like the ridges of a gas station pump. <laughs> okay, and on that note. <laughs>